Welcome to Zen of Business. My name is Shamash. And I'm Yvonne. And Zen of Business is about inspiring you to bring about more awareness, kindness and wisdom to you, your business and the world. And our wonderful guest today is Nick Williams. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. You're very welcome. So I'd just like to briefly share the story of how Nick's ended up on the show today. I, um, I live in North London in Finchley and I've decided to go to a different coffee shop and I bumped into Nick and actually... The last time we may have, met, may have met is actually quite a few years ago, but we happened to live in the same area. But my first contact with you actually was with, I think, one of your most popular and original books, which is The Work You Were Born To Do. So I, I picked it up in a bookshop. It's a nice, beautiful, bold, golden colour. And I remember reading it and really getting inspired by it. And I discovered just recently my brother was actually very inspired with it too. He was actually working a corporate job in New York and he wasn't really too sure, too sure what to do. So it's really helped him. But since then, you've written many, many books, uh, apart from The Work We Were Born To Do, The Book We Were Born To Write, Resisting the Soul, and nine other books too. So um, really excited to have you on the show. And uh, I suppose the first question is, what, what was it like, that transition, and why did you do that transition going from the corporate world into working for yourself and starting a little business? Um, my usual answer is because I was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like I had no choice in a way. Um, you know, I think when I was a kid, I felt like I, I had some kind of calling, but there was not many reference points for, for growing up for me about, you know, what's your calling? I don't think anybody ever asked me that question yeah. growing up. Nobody ever asked me the question about what would inspire me, what would I most love to do when I grew up. So... You know, I think that sense of calling almost kind of hibernated in me until I got older and I went down a conventional path and went into corporate life and sold computers and, you know, was reasonably successful in that world, but got to the kind of my late 20s and thought, is this it? Mm. Uh, you know, another 30, 40 years of this doesn't seem very appealing, <laughs> really. Um, it didn't seem, I suppose the bottom line for me, it didn't seem that meaningful. Mm. You know, making money for a corporation just didn't seem that meaningful to me and so I just you know I started my asking myself those bigger questions like so if I'm not on earth to sell computers to banks what am I what am I on earth for <laughs> yeah you know the answers that began to come to me is you know you're here to inspire other people you're here to teach you're here to maybe even write a book you know this was 30 years ago and part of me went yeah you know <laughs> is there another voice I can speak to this one? <laughs> this one seems a bit deluded, telling me I could do amazing things. And I think that's what I've come to realise is that the voice for inspiration can often feel like a deluded voice. You know, it's like, you know, I can never do that. So, yeah, little by little, I plucked the courage up just to leave the corporate world and to start my own businesses and, you know, following my heart and running my own businesses now for nearly 30 years. Mm. And it's not always been easy, is it? Challenging, but I wouldn't have swapped it for anything. Mm. Now I found out this morning that Yvonne actually also knows you in, in different yeah. ways, and that's through the organisation Alternatives. And, mm. and you, you've been quite kind of quite inspired by that. Oh yeah, very much. Yeah, I think. think oh, I'm trying to think about how many years ago that Alternatives started. It's been going over thirty years, so it, it was running as something called Turning Points originally. I think that's right. Um, run by Malcolm and a woman called Sabrina. Or Sabine, sorry, Sabine, and then that closed down and, and started again yeah. as alternatives. And I was there at the beginning. I, I wasn't one of the directors at the beginning. But I was one of the, an audience member. Then I became a volunteer. Then I got more involved, and then ended up co-leading it for several years, and then sitting on the board of trustees for about ten years. Wow! 
I think I think what what inspired me about alternatives was that it was held in a church. Mm. Um, it was a very open church. The, the church did lots of really interesting things and, and, and kind things in the community, and mm. I was really inspired by that because I come from a number of faiths in my family background, and I felt really comfortable there. Mm. And I think the world alternative, sort of linking to the work that you do with your you know your own writing. To me, that was so inspiring. Mm. And, you know, what would you say to, to people who are now going, ooh, yeah, I'm really, really stuck. Is there an alternative way? Mm. How, how would you approach them? And well, just to touch on alternatives for a minute. Yes, you know, what, what's happened at St. James's Church in Piccadilly over the last 30 years has been pretty amazing. It was really started off by somebody called Donald Reeves. I don't know if you ever knew about the Reverend Donald Reeves, I think one of his one of his great claims to fame was that Margaret Thatcher said he was a very dangerous man. Yeah. <laughs> and I, think, I think he liked that because he was quite left wing, quite radical. Um, and he took over St James's Church as a parish church. I mean, yes. when he arrived, there was twenty people and a dog in the congregation on a Sunday. And by the time he'd been there a couple of months, I think they'd all left. You know? yeah. So he wanted to invigorate. The church yeah. so he opened it up to homelessness to a cafe to concerts to all sorts of amazing social activism and causes um, and um, opened it up to alternative forms of thinking about spirituality so mm -hmm. there was something called creation-centered spirituality that was founded by Matthew Fox and then there was alternatives um, so I think he partly believed in the importance of being able to offer different perspectives on mm. spirituality and partly you like getting up people's noses and annoying the church hierarchy. <laughs> so I think there was a combination yeah. of dangerous of motives. It's definitely dangerous, <laughs> but inspiringly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah I think you'd get quite upset if he wasn't getting letters of complaint that had been sent to the Archbishop. You know, there weren't letters of complaint, he was annoyed. He's like, I'm trying to annoy people. <laughs> but he did great work, you know, yeah. still alive. He's, still doing great stuff so so yeah it was an amazing thing for me too you know to to you know I grew up Methodist and to go into a method into a church and talk about spiritual stuff that wasn't specifically Christian you know I, for the first few years of being involved part of me was going is there going to be a bolt of lightning you know is the wrath of God going to come down on me for being involved in this pagan thing yeah, 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 yeah. you know 30 years later it hasn't happened yet yeah. <laughs> I think I'm safe and I remember you know it's a funny thing talking about you know, things that you remember, but I remember with great joy finding their leaflets. Of course, we now everything is online, but they used to have a beautiful leaflet and it used to list all the forthcoming events mm. with beautiful illustrations and mm. everything. And as a creative person myself, I used to sort of take this and put it on my studio wall and, and sign up for all these different things. Mm. And I think what it what it did in its time, I'm sure it's still doing that, is just opening a world for mm. people. Because mm, yeah. when you're about to step out into something quite unknown. It's good to know there's lots and lots of possibilities. Mm. I think that was, you know, William, the three people that started it were William Bloom, Sabrina Dearborn and Malcolm Stern. And I think that was always their kind of goal in a way. It was almost to create a, a literally a, a spiritual smorgasbord. Mm. You know, I had once describe it as like we wanted to have like a, almost like a, an aircraft terminal where people could taste something and then go off to that destination. But there was no prescription about what the destination mm. should be. It was just like, here's all these different ways of looking at spiritual life, creativity, um, consciousness, um, see what appeals to you mm. and then you can go further with that. But we were never prescribing a particular form of spirituality. Mm. It was hosting the conversation about spirituality, which mm. was so important and which I loved. 
having come from a religious background and most people were probably told what to think mm. and invited to think and feel and i think so, that's the key to it isn't it because uh, i think where we are now in the world we take it for granted that there are all these opportunities mm, mm. but you know it's so wonderful to reflect on the on the roots of that mm. and what's happened in the last 20 30 years mm. to allow us to now be in this position where there are opportunities for people and there's no prescription i think that's a brilliant thing mm. As, and i suppose Shumash and i would say in in the world of zen and mindfulness it is that openness mm. that people really value now that they yeah. have this opportunity yeah conversation for yeah the opportunity for conversation and inquiry you know mm. i've come to love that word inquiry Indeed. Uh, just keep asking the questions and mm -hmm. being curious and, and stepping further into it. And as you say, now in a in a funny kind of way, alternatives did its job mm. because thirty years ago, all that stuff was quite alternative. And now <laughs> it's become a lot more mainstream. Indeed. Do you think they should rename to mainstream? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm still involved, you know, I did joke and say, well, you know, we've done our job. Should we, you know, should we change our name now? We're no longer really alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's still going under that name. Yeah. Obviously yeah. It's such yeah. a well-known brand. Yeah. 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 Uh, people know it and they're still doing very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm, and I think that's what's fascinating me is, you know, I, I, you know, it's mirrored my life and I think it's probably mirroring the where the world is to some extent. You know, there's, there's been the world of commerce and there's been the world of spirituality and awareness and growth. And I think the, the invitation now is how do we bring all those things together? And I think, tell us a little bit more about what you're writing, what you're thinking about <clears throat> at the moment in that sort of field. Well, I, you know, I think a lot and I um, you know, reflect a lot. I, I write pretty much every morning. I'm not writing this morning because I'm here talking to you. <laughs> You know, I explore stuff, and I suppose, you know, if I was to distill what fascinates me down to its essence, I suppose that the, the, the thing that fascinates me is how do we become the most loving, creative, inspiring human being we can be? Mm. And to me, that it's almost like I think we work on two levels. You know, we've got what we would conventionally think of as our earthly job description, whether we're a leader, an artist, or a broadcaster, teacher, whatever we are. But I think, you know, my belief is that underneath it, we all share, if you like, a common job description, a spiritual job description, mm. which is about how do we inject more love into the world? How do we inject more kindness into the world? Whatever we're doing, mm. whether we're a hairdresser or a king or queen, you know, that to me is the real question of our times, is how can we use whatever we're doing in the world yeah. for good? Mm. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah, really, I'm going to reflect on that question a lot. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I have a, I have mixed feelings because there's so many people these days running, you know, courses on purpose and find your purpose. And, you know, I suppose in a way the work we were able to do was a lot about the idea of purpose. But I also think it's, it's a kind of distracting question. I think it can be a question that can just keep us tied up for years. Yeah, you know? I agree. I, you know, I've met people who've said, you know, my book, the work we do came out 18 years ago now. I still bump into people and say, oh, I'm still looking for what I was born to do. <laughs> so yeah. in a way, the search can become an avoidance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I don't want to be dogmatic about it. I'm just saying this is the kind of piece I've come to is mm. I think the question for all of us is how do we become the most loving, creative, mm. kind human beings we can be? And for me, that presupposes that those qualities are already in us. Yes. You know, yes. My, my kind of spiritual path is, uh, is a course in miracles. 
always um, a very interesting book, yes. Um, and it's, you know, what I love about it, and I suppose it's probably similar to Buddhism and, and all sorts, it says that there is so much innate in us already. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that's, that's one of the questions that fascinates me, is how do we bring out all these innate qualities? If we're innately inspiring, if we're innately kind, if we're innately loving, why aren't we being it? Yes, <laughs> yes. How do we draw those qualities out of ourselves? Mm -hmm. That's that's what fascinates me today. Mm -hmm. So where I'm at in my kind of thinking and my teaching and my coaching and writing is is really about inspirational leadership now. How do we incubate more leaders who see their job as to draw the best out of people around mm -hmm. them? Because there aren't, you know, in the public domain at least, there aren't many leaders who see that as being their job. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So much leadership is divisive, it's judgmental all those things mm. and yet I know you meet lots of them and I am meeting more and more of them of people that see their job as drawing out the, mm. the best in people. Indeed. Mm. This comes and back to sorry, sorry. Sorry, just comes back to that concept of inquiry you were saying mm. so rather than trying to tell people just those you experience in alternatives there's the questioning that sense of inquiry mm. so leadership is about creating that space for others yeah, as well. Yeah you know, I, I joke because you know that whole idea about you know you don't beat virtuoso performances out of people with a stick, you know, and yeah. I think the corporate approach might often be, well, unless you're more kind and inspired and creative, we're going to sack you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, something not quite right in that equation, you know, that, that is how we tend to approach things, yeah, it's like yeah. we reward people for doing what we want them to do, or we punish them for not doing what yeah. we want them to yeah. do, and I suppose what fascinates me is, well, what if, what if there was just an innate motivation in the and I believe there often there usually is, uh, and so for me that's why how I think of inspiration is that you know motivation is about using you know carrots and sticks, whereas inspiration is about in a way drawing out I would call it people's natural willingness. Yes. You know I believe people naturally actually want to be kind, they want to be generous, they want to be inspired, mm. they want to be creative, but we generally set up life to make it pretty damn difficult for them mm, to do yeah. those things. And the structures they work in often are, are the structures that create the opposite of that. Mm, I think I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing in my head what you're saying. It's like, how do you, how do we create the person we were born to be? Because yeah. I think that... Uh, <laughs> Here's it, another book. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it's, um, from a Zen perspective, um, Shamash and I will often talk about being mm. um, and mindfulness and awareness is often connecting back to that person mm. that you're just mm. describing then because mm. I think the world and the craziness that goes on sometimes mitigates against you connecting to that person mm. you're born to be rather than do or yeah, the things you're supposed yeah, to do. We don't value whatever language you want to use but we don't value the softness, the vulnerability, the, the gentleness, the kindness. We, we tend to see them as weak mm. rather than as actually being very powerful strong and if you must you must also know leaders that you feel are like that that inspired you yeah well it's interesting because that, that's why I'm moving into this area more and more and um, you know, thinking about running a kind of training program to bring some of those people together and offer them you know, a platform to, mm. to show what they're doing and one particular one who you know long story but to cut it short I, I did coach her for a while and then she became a friend and now we're mates and um, she's the executive producer of Downton Abbey. Mm. And we just had a conversation a couple of months ago which I recorded and I'm editing. I was just listening to some of it over the weekend and you know we basically distilled you know her kind of leadership style into half a dozen kind of core ID 
ideas. And one of them is she said, I look for the divine spark in everybody that I work with. Oh, and I thought, mm. I had never heard a leader say mm. that that's what yeah. they set out to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that she, she knows that everybody's a divine being. It's beautiful. And she's looking to draw that out of them, whether they're in front of the camera, you know, putting their creativity out there, whether they're behind the camera, whether they're part of the support team. You know, and she says, you know, I fall down all the time, but that's my intention. Mm. You know, she knows she can still be judgmental, she can still lose the plot herself at times, but she knows she's got that place that she wants to come back to. I just think, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if every leader said, you know, everybody's a divine, powerful being. You know, my job is to help them remember that and bring that out of them. Wouldn't that be an amazing moment? Mm. And that's kind of what in, is inspiring me now. Yeah. Because so much leadership, I think, is about suppression. Yeah. You know, we're trying to hold people down. We're trying to control them. Whereas to me, you know, the idea of leadership is about liberation of people, not just from, you know, social bonds or you know, social limitations or whatever, but also their inner bonds. Yeah. I remember, you know, I've done quite a bit of work in South Africa over the years, and I remember being down there about 10 years ago and co-presenting with a couple of other guys at, at the University of Cape Town, and, and one of the guys had been, you know, a coloured guy, and, it, you know, obviously he was talking about apartheid. But I remember him saying, he said, you know, being liberated from apartheid was the easy bit. Being liberated from my own thinking is the really Mm. my own yeah. internal wow. suppression I just thought wow that's an amazing thing to mm. say it's like we can throw off the outer shackles but liberating ourselves from our inner programming and conditioning and fearful thinking that's that's the real work for me yeah so just thinking about um just kind of continuing with that like let's say someone who's listening who's maybe just thinking about starting a business or they're running a business mm. and they they're facing a project which Maybe that's what they're born to do, this mm. project. But sure. I was reading some of your quotes this morning and you talk about how as we become more authentic and we, we see what project want to do, there's a resistance that comes up with it. Mm. And actually that resistance is a good sign. It shows that you're going in the right direction, potentially. Can you say a little bit about how you would help someone like that <laughs> or what you'd have to say? Yeah, well, firstly, I'll tell them they're not going mad. I mean, that's <laughs> often what they think. Yeah. yeah, so the way I've come to think of it is <clears throat> that, you know, I, I think of, of the work we were born to do or something, you know, what we're on earth to do is the thing that would inspire us. So I, I, I talk a lot about following that sense of inspiration, following that sense of, you know, and sometimes it's more intuition, sometimes it's more an inner guidance. Interestingly, I was just listening a couple of weeks ago to a conversation of, um, you know, Bernie Taupin and Elton John, mm, they've had yeah. 50 years of songwriting together and there's oh. an interview with the two of them. And Elton was talking about how he first met Bernie and basically you know, the story was he went to a song an agent the agent said look there's a load of lyrics there just pick up one of the lyrics have a read and if you want I'll put you in touch with the songwriter and he just was guided to pick up a certain set of lyrics turned out that Bernie had written them connected them up so it was just amazing how that one little intuition that one little bit of guidance led to a 50-year collaboration mm, and amazing you know, the incredible songs that now exist on the planet because of them. But, it just, you know, as he was telling the story, I thought, wow, you know, you would never think that such an amazing collaboration had started from such a small event, mm. if you like, just a hunch to pick up a certain set of lyrics. So, yeah, you know, the first thing to, to tune into is that inspiration, that intuition, that inner guidance. And to me, that's, that's kind of clear communication with our soul. That's the way I like to think of it. That's, that's that clarity. 
But in my experience, usually either within seconds, minutes, hours, days, another voice kicks in, which is, don't be stupid. You can never do that. Yeah. You, know, you must be fooling yourself. You know? yeah. And I call that the voice of resistance. And most of us can recognise it. And, um, you know, the sad news in a way is that they come as a double act. You know, they come as a, you know, buy one, get one free. <laughs> in my experience, I, I can't get inspiration without also having yeah. all my resistance. Yeah. Um, but if, when I wasn't aware of that, then I would believe my own resistance. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, you know, what you're mm. saying, Jim, which is mm. like most people don't realise that is naturally what happens for most yeah. of us. Yeah. So as soon as the resistance arises, they, they talk themselves out of it and they go, well, this obviously wasn't the right idea, otherwise it wouldn't be so difficult, I wouldn't be so scared. Mm. Obviously I've just you know, fooled myself in some way. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of people do. So that's why I'm so passionate about teaching about it, because I used to think it was just me. I just thought, well, I've obviously got a software problem in my mind. You know, I've got a character Computer stuff came in handy. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I get inspired, I, I get scared and I talk myself out of it. Yeah. Uh, or I sabotage myself. Mm. You know, I think many of us actively sabotage mm. ourselves, but we don't even realise we're necessarily doing it. Um, you know, it's incredible what we do, and it's sad. And you know, one of the ways of learning to deal with it is to be able to laugh at it. You know, have yeah. that awareness yeah. and just go, "Oh, look, here I am. I'm doing my uh, resistance yeah. thing again." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just watch the dramas that we play out. Yeah. But when, once we're aware that it's natural, like I say, natural, it's normal. I don't know if it's natural, yeah. but it's certainly normal for inspiration to trigger resistance. Mm -hmm. Then I think we can, as you say, begin to see our resistance as a kind of validation that we got inspired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It okay. almost becomes like a pointer. Yeah. yeah. If we can see it that way round, you know, to me it's a, it's an indication that we've kind of dared boldly. Mm. You know, we haven't just kind of flatlined our life. You know, we're going, right, I want to live a more meaningful, purposeful life. So we're listening to that inner voice, I think, is always speaking to us. Yeah. And we've taken either thinking steps or some action steps towards it, wham here comes resistance great must mean i'm on track yeah but it's then learning to handle that resistance because i think a lot of people get quite blindsided by it they kind of go well i got inspired and now i see it all seems to have ended in tears what happened mm. um so it's having that realization that this is the normal process that that most of us go through and and obviously part of the journey then is to learn to trust that sense of inspiration and to you know i suppose in in your language be more mindful you know recognizing when resistance arises mm -hmm. But not, not believing it, if you like, going, ah, oh, here's my resistance, mm. feelings arising, here's my resistance, stories arising. Ah, welcome, you know, thank you. It means I'm on track. It means I'm daring boldly. Mm. Um, and one of the ways that I've come to describe it is um, resistance is all our ego's petty and fearful responses to the magnificent creative impulses of our soul. Mm, right. So, you know, the right. creative impulses of your soul begin to arise, your ego then kicks in and tries to stop you. Why? You know, ultimately, I don't know if there is an answer to that, but obviously we have, I believe we have, you know, a, a, a loving, inspiring aspect to ourselves, which some people would call their Buddha nature, their spirit, their whatever, whatever language you want to use to describe that. Mm. And we have a fearful aspect to our thinking, which most of us call our ego. Yeah. And so inspiration strikes. Mm. And I sometimes call it the dialogue between the head and the heart, mm. Mm. and um, I, I think both are important. So it's very interesting to hear what the resistance says. Yeah, it's interesting to hear what, the, and then 
being a Buddhist, of course, we'll find the middle way. And mm. we go, well, thank you, Resistance, for that. Thank you for sharing, thank, thank you for sharing <laughs> that with me. I don't actually think that's really useful right now. I'm going to go back to my heart and go, well, thank you, Heart, for giving me that inspiration. I think, as you're saying, it becomes a dance then, but you're aware of it. Mm. So you can then dialogue with it, and mm. then you start to sort of give yourself some practical steps of things you mm. maybe shouldn't do, but lots of things you should do, yeah. or you could do. And that's why I do think it's so necessary to have other people around us to to be sounding boards, you know, whether they're friends, whether they're coaches or whatever, because uh, I think our resistance often masquerades as good thinking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, we've convinced ourselves we're actually thinking very logically, but actually it's fear masquerading as good thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think, you know, that's where I, I get myself coached and I know when I coach other people, it's often questioning like, is that your highest thinking? Or is that fear mm -hmm. speaking in a way that doesn't look Indeed. And I think that's great. I think that's part of why, you know, Shamash and I are, are working with the Centre of Business because we think that, you know, we want to create a community where that happens mm. and people can explore these mm. things. Sometimes I also perhaps work with a metaphor, the hero's journey, where, mm, you know, the, uh, the idea is your heroic thought, but you've got to step out. Mm. Most heroes in all myths and legends have to step out. Mm. And there's a bit of an abyss. It's that abyss that people are frightened of, mm. and, and that ego starts talking to you, and oh, you shouldn't do it. So mm. I think there's great value in, in, in putting yourself in a place where people can support you mm. as you you try to make a big change. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've taken a break over the last year or eighteen months, but for fifteen years or so, I've been running communities to give people exactly that. Mm. Because I, I think one way again that resistance works is by you know we isolate ourselves. Mm. You know we don't put ourselves in situations where we'd be encouraged, where we'd be positively challenged, where we'd be held to a you know higher version of ourselves. You know resistance even stops us getting there mm. where we could get that form of support. So brilliant that you know we want to create community because mm. I think it's mm. vital. Um, and also seeing what other people how they handle their resistance. You know. I remember, I don't know if you know Julia Cameron. Yes, yes, very well. Um, yeah. She's, um, you know, she's written. We were talking about her this morning, right? Yes, the Answers Way, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's yeah, one she... of the only main workshops I went to with Alternatives, oh, actually. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've liked The Artist Way for, you know, since it nearly came out, which is in the 90s. Um, I got to meet her a couple of times, and, um, you know, I love the way she talks about it because she talks about resistance. And what she's actually done is she's given it a name, and it's called Nigel. And she's given it a personality as well, and, and she's—I think she said she—it's a gay interior designer or something. Like that. <laughs> oh, no. But then she has these conversations apparently with her, you know, with her editor or with her publisher. She said, "Look, I've written this. Nigel tells me it's crap. Will you have a look at it and tell me whether you think it's any good?" So she's, you know, I think there's a tremendous power in externalizing it, and almost yes. like. You know, I'm a great believer that whatever remains hidden retains its power to some extent. And when we bring things out and give them a name and start to bring them to the light, they lose their power. Mm. So I think a lot of us kind of carry a, can carry a lot of shame around our resistance. Mm. It's like we know we're doing it, but we pretend we're not. We don't want to we'll talk to anybody about it. Mm. Um, so I'm a great believer that the more we share our own story, so that's why I'm very open, I still suffer from resistance. Mm. Yeah, I think we wouldn't be human, I think, if no. we didn't. And no. I think that, that's the honest truth. We're not, we're not all perfect immediately. No, <laughs> it takes no. it, you know. I still get scared. I still feel vulnerable. I still go all, through all those emotions. Yeah. And I don't let them stop me as much as I used to. I yeah. don't believe them as much as mm. I used to. Yeah. 
I think that I think that's the key thing that, that it's what we believe mm. about these stories mm. and these things, and I think that's where the community. And I think I I really like what you were saying about you know constructive challenge because you know I think uh, Shamash and I we often act like that to each other. We, we we will have an idea, we will run it past each other, and then mm. we we'll go, hmm, what are the positive? Mm, mm. That we think that would work, that think that wouldn't work. And it's really good to find a buddy or a friend or a coach or mm. a mentor, somebody that you can really do that with, so mm. that you you can find this special thing that's in you that is this inspiration. Mm. And then they can help you. And I suppose um, from our perspective here, we like to give you some practical steps by which you can, if it's a business idea, start mm. a business, or mm. you can test it. Or you know, mm. but we're always very mindful of the fact that. People have to live. Sometimes it's easy. People say, oh, it's, oh, it's easy for you because. Mm. I don't think it's ever easy for people to take a step out, but sometimes people have more resources mm. at their disposal. And sometimes for those people taking a really big step without resources, they need to be mindful of that. So they need to give themselves some mm. support and help and yeah. resources. Yeah, so going back to the question, I, one of the other things I would say to entrepreneurs is always do a trial version of what they're doing as quickly as possible. Yeah, yes. you know, yeah. Um, prove the concept, yeah. you know, rather than you know, spend years developing it, never try it out, then leave your job to start your business. I'm a great believer in find your first client while you've still got your job. Yes, uh, completely. It breaks down the resistance, gets you on the learning curve. You know, make yeah. it happen as quickly mm. as possible, and then build and build and build. So I'm, I'm a great one for lowering the bar as much as possible, yeah. and then gently raising it as mm. you build your confidence and as you build your skills and as you build. Resourcefulness. Mm. Very interesting. Another thing that comes to mind with this concept of resistance, because I think mm. this is one of the biggest challenges. I think it's great that you've written a book about it and reflect. But I was reading an interesting book. I don't know if either of you read it. I think it's called The Antidote. And it's about, he describes it as the negative path. And mm. he's challenging all these books which just emphasize positive thinking. Mm. Like, you know, if you have any negative mm. thoughts, just be positive. Believe, you know, success is the only path. And, and it really, really kind of almost wallpapering that negative thought sure. with positive. And he kept showing evidence of how the more you do that, the more louder that negative thought gets, that Nigel kind of mm. gets. Um, and his approach was more a stoic approach of actually asking what's the worst that can happen rather mm. than what's the best that can mm. happen. Any thoughts about that, of, of, of that kind of approach rather than forcing positive thinking? Or do you think there's some balance to be held? Yeah, time? I think there's a balance. Yeah, for me, I... <laughs> it's going to be rude and say I almost want to vomit when people are too positive. Yeah, yeah. I can't handle people that are too positive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a mindful way. Right? <laughs> as long as you feel you're breathing at the same time. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> I ask you for forgiveness as I do it. Yeah. Mindful slapping. Um, yeah. no, for me, it, it, I suppose another way for me of thinking of resistance is also looking at what I would call the shadow. You know, that for every positive voice that we have, there's probably a negative yeah. voice that we have. For every part of us that's kind and loving and beautiful, there's a part of us that can be nasty and vengeful and competitive. So for me, it's about holding those two kind of sides of us. You know, I would call it integrating our shadow. Mm. You know, I love. Uh, I haven't read a lot of his work directly, but I love the work of Jung, who, who said, you know, everyone's got a shadow. You know, mm. For every positive quality we have, um, there's something a bit darker about mm. us. Mm. And and what most of us do is we end up projecting our shadow onto the people around us. And I think that again is, you know, the, the challenge of leadership today. So much leadership is about 
you know, projecting the things that we don't want to acknowledge about ourselves onto other people. So, yeah, to me, it is about the looking at the light and the dark in each of us. Yeah. And I think the more um, we can acknowledge that, yeah, we, we are loving and we are beautiful and we're kind and all those good things, and we can be competitive and nasty and undermining and you know, jealous. I can anyway, and I don't think I'm the only person that is like that. <laughs> but it, again, it's not saying, well, I'm a terrible person because I feel all those things, because that is then just being harsh on ourselves. Uh, I, I like that idea of, you know, having having tea with your demons, you know, sitting down yeah. with your demons yeah. and just saying, oh, hello, you jealousy, here you are again, you know, competitiveness, here you are again, hello, nastiness, here you are again. And for me, you know, it's believing that there's really only love and fear going on. So when we're being in our shadow, we're acting out of fear, we're acting out of pain. And, you know, to me, as you said, you know, my idea of the antidote, you know, I don't know if I came up with this idea or if I read it somewhere, but the antidote to, to kind of vulnerability is incredible self-compassion. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that's, a, I think it's it's great you mentioned this, Nick, because I, I, I think one of the things that people really value these days about all the hype and all the super positive is really authenticity. Mm, yeah. And sitting here and, and you know, experiencing, speaking to you, you can really tell that you, you do live these things and you do mm. believe it and I, I know I'm the I know Shamash is that sort of person. And we what we what we really like is people being authentic, going, Yes, I felt really awful about that. I felt really scared. Mm. This is the way I dealt with myself. Mm. And I love that analogy of sitting down with with you know your fear mm. and having a dialogue with it because when you when you talk to it, when you as you said, when you bring it to the open, then it can tell you some good information. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I've tried to do over the years and I'm, increasingly now is is to try to assume that every aspect of me has a positive intention Indeed. Mm. Um, but i don't necessarily know what that is what even the when the resistance comes up yeah the negative yeah because yeah. you know when i talk to my resistance you know it, really it's trying to it's telling me it's trying to keep me safe that's true you know, if I show up in the world and talk about that or do that i could get attacked i could get judged i could get shamed humiliated mm. so don't do it which kind of makes sense. There's a, a logic to it. Yeah. And like I was saying, it's not necessarily the highest thinking. And I think a lot of our resistance is probably, you know, childhood thinking to some extent. It's like, well, I got humiliated as a child, so therefore I'm never going to put myself in that situation where I'm going to get humiliated mm -hmm. again. That makes sense. So if your resistance is trying to keep you safe, then for me, the way, the way that I handle my resistance increasingly is to say, how can I do this and feel safe anyway? Indeed, yes. So how could I yeah. feel safe even if somebody did try to humiliate me? How could I feel okay even if somebody did try to judge me, criticise me, put me down, invalidate me? Mm. So it's looking at a mature way of feeling safe rather than a child way of mm. feeling safe. Yeah. And, and a, another big lesson for this I learned from my friend Liz, who's the Downton producer. You know, I had a conversation with her a couple of years ago that I put out on my you know, blog. And I said to her, well, what is your job as a producer? TV or film producing and she said well you know part of it is obviously the logistics but part of it is being a psychologist and she said what I've realized over the years is that people arrive on set feeling scared they feel afraid that they're not going to be able to do their best job so she said what I've realized is everybody arrives feeling a bit vulnerable so my job is to acknowledge that vulnerability and create a safe place where people feel able to give their best 
But I just thought to hear somebody who, you know, is a BAFTA and Golden Globe producer, you know, audio producer, saying, my job is to help people feel safe. My job is to acknowledge mm -hmm. that people feel vulnerable and scared, yeah. even though they may be paid, you know, vast you know, yeah. fees for what yeah. they're doing yeah. and they're professionals at it, yeah. they're still scared. Yeah. And, and it kind of helped me relax a bit. I'm thinking, well, if she works with the best <laughs> in the world and she knows yeah. they're showing up scared, yeah. What am I giving myself such a hard time about? Yeah, you know, yeah. why are we all giving ourselves a hard time? Yeah. And interestingly, again, you know, just a month or two ago, I went to listen to an hour's talk by John Major. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I laugh because you know, it's about 20 years too late, but I actually asked him a question. I thought, oh, I've got to ask the <laughs> ex prime minister a question, <laughs> question time. Um, and I said, because <laughs> he'd been talking about, he said, you know, he thinks it's really hard for politicians today because of social media and things like that. It's like something could happen. They arrive somewhere and they've got a load of journalists going, what's your response to what's just happened? And they go, I don't even know what's happened. <laughs> yeah. And he said he thinks it's so hard for politicians yeah. today. So my question to him, I said to him, how, how can we make it easier for politicians to be real and to, to show some of their vulnerabilities? And he said, I don't have a clue. That's a great question. That's a great question. Because what he was basically saying is, you know, they're putting on a show, but behind the scenes, they're just as scared as everybody. So part of what I want to help in a way stimulate is let's just have these, as you say, honest, authentic conversations. Mm. Stop pretending we're not scared when we are scared. Mm. How can we make it safe for us to be scared and vulnerable with each other mm. rather than putting on a show and pretending we're not? And to me, I think that's one of, one of the things I you know, feel about leadership is that people want to see authentic leadership mm. Mm. and they are fed up with this. Yeah awful stuff that they're seeing mm. and people cannot relate to it or all the fear-mongering that goes on mm. so I'm, I'm really hoping you're going to get your leadership thing going in in the political <laughs> arena I think you've got, got a, a great audience there you've literally got major work to do <laughs> and also what's interesting is because there are so many younger people who want to come into politics mm. who really want to change the world and they're terrified to come in because yeah. of what they see, yeah. and they they're not that person. Now, I, I've just read the uh, the biography of uh, Joe Cox, mm. and she was one of those people. Yeah. And and look what happened, and the tragedy mm. of that. So mm. I think a lot of people would love to emulate her mm. and be that person, but they don't know how to do it. No, no. So you know, I, I did have a, a tea once with an MP at the House of Commons, and you know, he was he was saying how yeah, you know, they are they are. Yeah, to show their real selves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that's part of, you know, my kind of inquiry now is how do we make it easier for, for us to be mm -hmm. our real self, all, yeah. all of ourselves, you know, our, our best and our vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. you know, and to me that's what great leadership is, is it encourages the best and it holds the vulnerability at the same time, it's mm -hmm. not one or the other. And I know mm -hmm. that um, in, in the book that Shamash and I are writing, we, we have a, we've been talking about leadership and, it, and it, it's, it's great to hear you say these things because it's my experience as a leader and also writing about it that that authenticity is probably the key to all great leadership mm. and then we look at all the great leaders that we've we've looked at yeah. and business leaders as well people have been i'm very fond of um the brand patagonia and uh, jan chopinard and how he was a completely authentic leader in mm. his business mm. and he lived his values with his people and with his products mm. and i think what you're saying, I think this is a really big stream that we are mm. going to investigate more in the center business. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, because again, you know, for me, it brings, it's a call to bring together both our skillfulness, you know, our head and our mm-hmm. heart to marry the two. I remember a few years ago, I, I heard just sort of kind of half a day seminar, somebody who'd been in Nelson Mandela's transitional government. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about how they negotiated and how they brought people together around common goals that seemed very conflicting. And I thought, well, that's brilliant. You know, it's, it, he seemed to have a really great heart, but also incredibly skillful. And I think mm. that's, you know, we can have a great heart without much skill. We can have great skill without much heart. And I think for me, that is, like you said at the beginning, it's about how do we marry the head and the heart? Yeah. How do we bring them together? How do we bring great skillfulness and great heart together? I think it was John Ruskin that said, you know, when you bring love and skillfulness together, expect a masterpiece. And, and that's, I think, that's what fascinates me. How do you bring love mm. and skillfulness together? Because mm. again, just going back to Liz for a minute, you know, I remember when I first went to her office at Ealing, you know, when they were filming, you know, I, I knew what a big heart she had, but then I looked on a wall and said, and I went, well, how many scenes are there in a series of Downton Abbey? She said, a thousand scenes. Wow. And, you know, a thousand scenes all with props, all with makeup, all with actors, all with extras, you know, around locations, around the country. It's like a military operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. as well as the love, there's an incredible degree of skillfulness that goes yeah. into making things brilliantly. And that's what fascinates mm-hmm. me is the people that are bringing all their love and all their skillfulness together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another kind of question that comes to mind, earlier we were, we were having a conversation, I mentioned that you, you do this Facebook Live, so you go mm. on every day and you kind of film yourself and you talk about it and you also talked about the resistance that mm. kind of keeps coming up. But I've also recently been reading about how the importance of kind of creating the right habits and it's these like, we've mm. talked about resistance, how you could do this and that, but I think what, what really also matters is the things that we do kind of regularly on a daily basis and making it a sure. habit. And I guess writing is one for you mm. and maybe, you know, filming yourself and putting some information out there mm. visually. So how have you kind of created those uh, habits and how have you decided what's, what's your, what's kind of important in terms of the thing that you need to do on a daily basis? And, and, and I suppose, yeah, again, that resistance comes up. Does, does the resistance go down for you as you practice more or is it always the same? Um, so, well, I'll answer in two parts. So, yeah, do I have daily habits? Yes. Yeah. And I've come to the same conclusion as you're alluding to, really, which is, I think sometimes we think, well, one day I'm going to make a grand gesture and all my resistance is going to disappear and I'm going to have the confidence to do all the things mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. In my experience, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, occasional grand gestures help, mm-hmm. but really it's what we do day in day out. Yeah, it does make mm-hmm. a difference. So, so yes, you know, what I do every day, you know, the first thing I do every day is to write three pages of morning pages, which is what Julia Cameron suggests mm-hmm. in The Artist's Way. I do that every morning. I read a lesson from A Course in Miracles every morning. Uh, I go out for a walk every morning. I go out for a run every morning. Um, except when I'm doing something like this, I, I go out and write for an hour or two every morning. Um, and I suppose the best way I can describe how I experience doing that on a daily basis is just something how chemical happens. Almost intangible on a daily basis, mm-hmm. but on a cumulative basis, yes. you kind of go, oh, you know, I'm now doing much more easily and naturally what was really hard mm-hmm. yeah. several weeks ago or a couple yeah. of months ago or yeah. even a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, like I was alluding to, I think it's, it's like what we do habitually leads to a sense of liberation. We, we build our confidence and we diminish our fears by doing things regularly. And um, I think what we also find is, I think we find our power by doing that. It's almost like, 
you know, I've not been in any formal recovery program, but I really relate to the idea of recovery. You know, and I didn't realise until recently that the artist way in a way was a twelve-step recovery program, but recovery for creativity as opposed to recovering from an addiction. So it is this idea that whatever we do habitually, we recover our power, we recover our creativity, we recover our compassion a little bit every day, and sometimes mm. we slip back, but then we can keep moving forward. Mm. So yeah, so one of the reasons I, I, I write and I publish every day. Uh, sorry, I write, publish, and broadcast every day, and the broadcasts are sometimes only a minute long. But there is the you know I won't use the swear word. I might yeah, but it it is almost like every day I have beat my resistance. Yeah. So like you know I press record and then I press stop. I'm like I gotcha, I didn't get me today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. I've been broadcasting yeah. every day for about 15, 16 months now. I've been publishing every day for three years. Yeah. So it, it, there has been a power to doing that. Yes. And I would do it even if nobody read them or watched them or listened to them, to be honest. I'm yeah. doing it as much for me as I'm doing it for other people. Yeah. I think that's really important, actually, because I yeah. think there's an intrinsic motivation there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing it not because of this person or that person, but there's that authenticity, like, this is yeah. important to me. Yeah. I don't care if, it, if I'm, yeah. I'm the only person that reads yeah. it. You know, I've always loved the idea in a way, like the bird that wakes up, you know, before dawn and sings, and it's like, well, nobody's listening. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't kind of go, well, what's the point of singing? That's nobody's nice. listening. Yeah. You That's know, nice. to me, I need to express myself. I yeah. want to express myself every yeah. day, so I do it. Yeah. And people do watch it and do listen or do read, and I get feedback, and some people end up hiring me for things as a result of it. So it Ooh. does have benefits too, but as much as anything, I do it for my own sanity. I do it for my own recovery process. Mm. Brilliant. Some great advice then. I'm, yeah. I'm really inspired. <laughs> and, I'm, and as I'm hearing I'm thinking, what do I do every day? I think sometimes we forget. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great to be able to go back and reflect on what, what really works for us and what or what we could mm. improve or what we could change a little bit. Yeah. Great yeah. advice. Then. And, yeah. and I, I, I think we need to do it to experience that alchemy. Indeed. You know, because often you think, well, What's the point of just doing one little thing every day? It's not going to make the grand gesture of difference. Mm. I want to make. And I think that's the challenge. Is so often where we want to get to seems so far away from where we are that we don't realise the way to get there is one little step at a time. Yeah, because I think find that resistance. Like, if 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 someone looked at your website and saw the books that you've written, and they're just coming in, just starting out, they would have a huge resistance there, right? Mm. But if there was just some small, like, every day, mm. write something. Yeah. And so just work with that resistance. And then it becomes a bit more automatic for them. Yeah. And then maybe record yourself. Yeah. Or maybe give a talk once in a while. Yeah, and then step by steps. step. Yeah. So yeah. those resistance aren't so no, big. I, I would never, you know, I, I had a dream when I was a kid of writing a book, you know. And it took me to the age of 38 to actually sit down and write a yeah. book. Yeah. Um, but I would never have guessed that I, it would have led to writing 14 so far, yeah. Yeah. hopefully lots more. Yeah. So you just never know. It's just getting on the path and taking each step, each step, each step. And in my experience, what happens is those two things. One is resistance. You know, but as you keep beating your resistance, your world opens up. Yeah. Vistas open up. Yeah. And that's the, probably one of the best bits of advice I can give is yeah. you just keep doing stuff consistently. And you open up internally as a result of that, and the world opens up to you as a result. Because I, I also think the world needs us to be as kind, powerful, loving, as strong as we can be. And it's those internal alchemical processes that allow us to have that inner strength to do maybe what we are called to do in the world. Mm -hmm. you know? 
and there were things I probably would have loved to have done, but I wasn't ready in a way to do them. My ego wanted me to do them, but actually on a kind of spiritual foundational level, I wasn't yet ready to do them. So I probably would have ended up crashing and burning because I hadn't got the, the inner foundations in place. Um, so as we come towards the end of this, this uh, episode, I just wonder if you had any any kind of tips or maybe one tip for someone who's starting off a business or running yeah. a business and bringing also this element of Zen or values or presence or is there anything that comes to mind you want to finish up with? Um, yeah, trust, trust your inner knowing. You know, if you know something's right, trust that. Um, really want to be in it for the long haul rather than the quick fix and the quick results. I think that's really important to, to take on board. Um, and probably, you know, next final bit, you know, aim another bit of advice is get yourself in loving, supportive community. Don't try and do it too much on your own. You know? yeah. um, I, somebody I follow on social media had this great expression a few years ago. He said, you know, life's a roller coaster, but it's great when you've got other people to scream with. Yeah, great idea. <laughs> and it's tough sometimes, but if you've got other people to scream with, yeah. then... <laughs> you know, you realise you're not alone. You know, you're just Absolutely. on the territory yeah. Yeah. that we're all standing on. Really. Yeah. So, yeah, get yourself in community. Get yourself real life connected, not just social media connected, but connected to loving and supportive, yeah. encouraging people in your life. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's been so great that you've been able to spend time with you in person well, today. It's really, Do we have to really stop? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I always, well, the reason I love doing these things is that that is never anybody that comes in the street that I don't learn from, and I feel so inspired myself. So thanks yeah. so much, Nick, for coming. Yeah, yeah. Thank, yeah. You, thank, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. And if people want to find out more, or what's the kind of um, yeah, step? go to my website. Uh, so it's iamnickwilliams.com. Iamnickwilliams.com. And you're working more on leadership side, so you didn't yeah. really hoping for potential yeah, programs. Yeah, but that's yeah, but yeah. but also you know I also want to get people reimagining leadership. You know, because one of the ways I describe leadership is every act of love is an act of leadership. So therefore, we can each be in leadership in each moment. So we tend to think of leadership as being a position. I think it's a, a way of showing up, a way of being, as you would say. Great. Well, I'm nickwilliams.com. Check it out. And uh, check out our website where we'll have links to, to Nick's work and all the other things that we do. So thank you much for listening. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye.